0: Hello, and welcome back to Grateful Gwenna. Thank you for joining us. These podcasts share my testimony as a Christian woman survivor of domestic violence and others' testimonies as well. We share real-life stories and struggles with true biblical advice, support, and empowerment for abuse victims and overcomers. You can support this podcast ministry at slash grateful Gwenna with one in if you or someone you know trying to find my page here if you or a loved one is in need of immediate help or support the national domestic violence hotline is available to you 24 hours a day seven days a week By calling 1 800 799 7233. And you can be assured that all calls are kept confidential. Well, welcome back, friend, and thank you for joining me again. Um, Today is part two of my marriage story. And this is probably going to be the most difficult podcast episode for me to record um, because it's extremely emotional and vulnerable. Um, my voice may sound devoid of emotions, I don't know, but it's because it was so long ago and it's how I've been able to cope. Um, that's actually called a defense or coping mechanism that I use. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen or that I don't take it seriously. It's just apparently how I, my body and my mind and my soul copes with this. So, again, thank you for joining us. Before we get started today, um, I want to mention something. Um, You probably heard my marriage story part one yesterday. Um, Just to let you know, my ex husband and I, who was the one who was abusive to me, I've had one marriage and it lasted a total, a grand total of 17 years, just in a summary. Um, And I uh, attended all kinds of secular and biblical counseling and um, separated from my ex-husband three times before finally um, being released by God to file for divorce, which is something that I never thought I would do. Um, I was 1000% completely against it. But I want to let you know that we had a marriage ministry my abusive ex-husband and I. And we were kind of both experts at hiding the abuse that was going on be- behind our closed doors in our home. I was pretty much an expert at covering up for him, and he was an expert at covering up also as well for himself. And uh, nobody had a clue. And so um, we had a family life Home Builders Marriage Ministry, for which we were regional directors. Talk about Satan getting in there and destroying God's plan for a ministry. I'll tell you what. Um, I tried repeatedly to tell those in charge and over us that we should not be in ministry and no one would listen to me. Um, I tried telling our overseers from our old church This was a different church than the one I mentioned yesterday. And they said that if everyone waited until they were perfect to be in ministry, then nobody would ever be in ministry. And, excuse me, allergy season for me. I found out later that it was because, partially because my ex husband had been telling them that I was exaggerating the abuse, which again, that's not true, but even if it had been, why would any abuse be okay? <laughs> okay. That just seems completely illogical to me. So anyway, um, I also tried to tell our family life leaders and, you know, they kind of had the same sentiment. Everybody struggles. Don't worry about it. It's okay. You're good. I'm guessing, I, th- I believe they all had the best of intentions. I don't think that they realized, how bad, I know they didn't realize how bad things really were. So anyway, um, in part one of my marriage story, I left off telling you about um, how I made up in my mind to leave my ex-husband. And I was in the process of planning and preparing that. Um, I had packed a backpack with um, like an overnight bag in case I needed to leave in an emergency. And I had hidden that from him just in case I needed to grab the kids and the backpack and leave quickly in an emergency, um, which actually happened a couple of times. But uh, it's amazing how quickly it can happen that you have to leave. So I will tell you about one time that we had to leave quickly. And then I will tell you Um, the, actually for me, the most difficult part of my story, that fateful night, um, I'm going to describe to you in this episode, um, when my ex-husband actually strangled and suffocated me. Uh, but there was one occasion where, and I'm getting this, the chronological timeline of this a little mixed up because it's been so long now. It's been over 10 years So it's like I remember details from each incident that occurred in each episode, um, but I don't always place them in the proper timeline of chronological events. So one time after I had separated from my ex-husband, he called me and he was angry about something. I don't remember what he was angry about this time. He was angry a lot and he was yelling at me on the phone and threatening me and told me that, and and the boys and I were in the house at the time and he was staying elsewhere. I can't remember if he was in the hotel at the time or if he had purchased his mobile home by then, but he threatened me and said, I'll be there in five minutes. And I could tell by the tone of his voice that he was in one of his fits of rage I mean, I had been through this for over a decade. I knew what he sounded like when he got in these moods and his violent episodes and his rages. And I remember it was in the middle of winter and um, we live in the Midwest where in the wintertime, it snows a lot and there was snow on the ground. And um, the boys and I were inside We must have been in our pajamas or something because I remember we were in our bare feet. And I quickly got the boys. I may have even had to wake them up. That part I don't remember for sure. But they were young, they were children. I quickly got the boys and pretty much ran for our lives. And I carried one boy, and the other boy had to run in his bare feet, and I had to run in my bare feet across the snow. And we ran across the backyard and banged on the neighbor's glass sliding glass back door. And thank God, God bless her heart, she opened the door. She's like, oh my God, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I can't explain. Can we please come in? And she goes, yeah, sure, of course, come in. And we come in and my son is crying because his feet are painful from the snow on the bottom of his very feet. My, my, I'm crying because I'm stressed and freaking out and my feet are hurting. And my neighbor, God bless her soul, she's like, oh, my God, Gwenna, what's going on? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And they were, they were Christians, thankfully. And we, you know, I closed her blinds and everything so that he couldn't see us. And no sooner had I done that, I turned around and I could see through her windows and through our house windows, he was already there. So we barely escaped in time. And so then I explained to my neighbor what was going on. And I'm sure that's something that my son, even though he was little, he'll always remember. And I know I will always remember. Anyway, um, so the fateful night, um, I was trying to once again, talk my ex-husband into spending time with his sons, with our sons. And he used to just ignore every problem, kind of figuratively speaking, swept everything under the rug. And back then I was more of a confrontational type person in spite of his, you know, abuse. My nature was to confront, but I, I kind of kept from confronting him a lot because of his fits of rage. And so I was trying to get him to spend time with his children And, um, he had a habit of just going to bed and going to sleep and never dealing with anything, never coming back to it, never saying, we'll talk at a later time, nothing, you know? And for me, it was one thing, okay, but don't do that to your children. You know, that's just cruel and unfair. And he really was neglecting the kids I mean, I was taking care of them like I was feeding them and clothing them and teaching them and I was taking care of everything, doing their laundry, running the errands, paying the bills. I was doing everything. All he did was not that it's nothing, but he worked outside the home and brought home the money and I did literally everything else. So the boys weren't really seeing him at all. So I was trying to get him to see them and he went to bed and I was like, nope, not happening at this time. You know, you you can ignore me all you want and that's not right and that's not healthy and that's not good and that doesn't make for a good relationship or a good marriage, but it's not fair to these young children that you're neglecting them. They need their father. Even even if it's a bad father, <laughs> they still need their father, right? And I know there are so many statistics about you know, children, especially boys, growing up with their fathers, without their fathers, excuse me. You know, whether they're in jail or some other thing. There are a lot of kids, unfortunately, that grow up without their fathers. And I didn't want my kids becoming that kind of a statistic, which is probably another reason I stayed with my abusive marriage so long. But anyway, I was standing upstairs where we were living in a two-story house. I was standing upstairs in the hallway, right outside our master bedroom. And my ex-husband had gone to bed, even though I was begging him to spend some time with the boys. And I had finally put the boys to bed. And so they were across the hall and both bedroom doors were open. And I remember he started to come toward me. And I was pretty upset at that point because it had been months, literally months since I'd been trying to get him to spend time with the kids. And so I was probably yelling at him knowing me saying, why won't you get up? Why won't you, you know, not get up, but why won't you spend time with these kids? It's important. At least say something, you know, and he just went to bed and didn't answer me. And then I remember him getting out of bed and me thinking, he's starting to walk toward me, me thinking, I always give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't know why I'm so naive. I'm still naive like that. (laughs) Because I guess I want people to give me the benefit of the doubt. So I just assumed he was walking toward me to apologize and say, okay, honey, I'm sorry. I'll talk to the boys tomorrow because that's what I would do. So I assume that's what someone else would do too. My wise son always tells me that I think a lot differently than most people. I just I think the best about people, no matter how many times they prove me wrong or that they're worse than what I assume about them. So he starts walking toward me. And when he's almost to me, I suddenly see his facial expression change. And there's this look in his eyes that I've never seen before. And it looked very dark and very evil And I almost want to say demonic. I don't know that for sure, but I'll tell you what, he looked possessed or something. And I've never seen, I've only ever seen someone's eyes look like that one other time in my life. And it scared and absolutely terrified me. And I'm a very logical person. Um, I've been through a lot in my life. My first instinct was to protect my kids. Because I could tell there was something evil in that man's eyes, but I didn't know what. I didn't know what he was thinking or what he was about to do or even what he was completely capable of. And my first instinct was, you got to protect the kids. And he came at me and he shoved me up against the hallway wall. And I vaguely recall my son yelling, mommy, mommy, give me the phone. I'll dial nine nine one one. I remember my son yelling, mommy, mommy, give me the phone. I'll dial 911. Um, the boys were in their bedroom across the hall and they had bunk beds at the time and they didn't have a phone in their bedroom. The only phone um, was downstairs. And I, I don't even think we had a phone in my bedroom at the time, but it wouldn't have mattered because I couldn't get past him to my bedroom anyway. So the only phone was downstairs. Yeah, actually, I don't think we had a phone in in the bedroom at the time, but I know there wasn't one in the boys' room. So I remember my son saying, mommy, mommy, give the, me the phone and I'll dial 911. And when I heard my son's voice, my instinct kicked in to protect my children, and I locked the boys in their bedroom instinctively. I have no idea how I knew to do that. I just did it. And the next thing I knew, my ex-husband had me in a headlock and... I took self-defense courses when I was 11 years old. I took judo. So I knew what to do in a headlock. And I tried to do what I had been trained to do, but it didn't work. And here's why. When he grabbed me from behind, he had both his arms around me and one of his... Um, His, I can't even really describe it to you. My neck was like he had my throat and with one of his arms and elbows and hands and the other one, with the other one, he was covering my nose and mouth. Tighter, a tighter grip than I've ever known in my life. I'm not exaggerating at all. Like I can't, there are not words to describe how tight that grip of his was. I tried to bury my chin in his arms, but his grip was too tight. I tried to stomp on his foot, but he was moving and I couldn't do it. I tried to elbow him in the gut and I couldn't even do that because the way he had me pinned. And I remember before that, I had been begging God to take my life because I couldn't take the abuse anymore. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. (laughs) It's been a long time and I'm healed, but it brings up a lot of memories. And I remember I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk to tell him that I couldn't breathe. And he was obviously in a fit of rage. And I remember so many thoughts flashing through my mind so incredibly quickly. Well, you wanted this. You wanted me to take your life. And I said, yes, Lord, but not this way. It was like I was praying, you know, I was thinking and having a conversation with God in the few split seconds this was happening and said, I'm sorry, God, I didn't mean this way. And then I remember finally, okay, Lord, if this is your will, this isn't the way I wanted to go, but if this is your will, then okay, I'll go however you want. Those were the thoughts going through my head and I remember So clearly, God putting a picture of my boys, my sons in my mind and his saying to me, they need you. That's it. I always know when God is speaking to me because it's very succinct and I'm kind of a glib person when you get me, you know, completely in my personality and I'm just free to feel free to be myself. I'm glib. So I always know when it's God speaking. And God just said, he put a picture of the boys in my mind and said, they need you nobody can love them the way you do. And I said, oh yeah, they'll get another mom. And at this point, I had pretty much given up on life and living. And God said, no, I created you to be their mother. You're their mother. Nobody will love them the way you do because you're their mother. That's what God told me. And I remember getting weak, and my knee starting to buckle because I couldn't breathe. And I remember starting to physically collapse. And I remember thinking, okay, God, I'm sorry. Like I had done anything wrong. (laughs) And the next thing I remember, my ex-husband miraculously released his grip. And I think he went back to bed. I'm not sure. And I quickly ran downstairs and grabbed the cordless phone and dialed 911. And I had called the cops on my abusive ex-husband multiple times over the 10 years that we had been living together. So we were on record and there was a file on us for domestic violence and everything And I could not believe they hung up on me. They took my information and then hung up. And right after they hung up, the dispatcher hung up on me. Here comes my ex-husband down the stairs and walking towards me with that same look of rage in his eyes. And I pretended to still be on the phone with 911, the dispatcher, even though the dispatcher had already hung up on me. And I remember him saying, oh, you want to call 911 on me? Go ahead. You call 911 on me. And he grabbed, I had long hair that was up in a ponytail at the time. And he grabbed my ponytail and started pulling me around the kitchen by my ponytail. That's the last thing I remember until the police arrived. (laughs) And it took them half an hour to arrive And when someone arrived, it was only one police officer. And my ex-husband had threatened me repeatedly that if I ever reported him to the police, that he would take the boys to Mexico, where he's from originally, and disappear and I would never see my children again. And that was how he tried to control me and, and keep me under his power. So anyway, the police arrived, the police officer, and then 30 minutes later, and then about 10 minutes after that, a female police officer arrived. That was my first female police officer in 10 years of calling the police regarding the domestic violence that was happening in my home. And I remember a couple of things. I remember our church's pastor had been in the driveway, and after things had calmed down, he came and talked to me, and he goes, I can't believe it. I said, you can't believe what? He goes, Arturo, he's such a sweetheart. I looked at him, I said, you try living with him. (laughs) I remember saying, you don't live with him, or you try living with him. Something about living with him is different. And people were just shocked. And of course, you know, we have these cop cars in, in my driveway, so it's a big you know, suburban neighborhood disturbance, which is embarrassing in and of itself. Um, And I also remember when the female police officer came in, she said something to me about having strangle marks on my neck. And I said, I knew he had like strangled and suffocated me, but I was in shock. They told me later I was in shock. And I said, I have strangle marks on my neck. And she goes, yeah, honey, come here. And the female police officer walked me to my downstairs bathroom and showed me the strangle marks on my neck in the mirror. And I remember looking at my neck in disbelief and shock. It's like, you, you know what happened, but I have trouble associating anyway. But you're just, you're in so much disbelief and you're in denial, and you've been brainwashed, and you think this can't possibly happen. My husband's a Christian or claims to be a Christian. You know, he would never do this to me. God would never allow this to happen. Of course, you know, it's not God's fault when we choose our own free will, right? The choices we make are our choices. And I just remember being in shock looking in that bathroom mirror. And then the female police officer says, I'm really sorry, but I can't take photographs for evidence of your strangulation marks on your neck because I forgot my camera and that was back before they had body cams unfortunately so I remember later my ex-husband claiming that the police lied because they didn't have any photographic evidence to back it up but I mean everyone saw me that was there they all had to have seen those strangle marks on my neck and I remember um I'm wondering if I'm skipping some stuff probably and of course the police talked to us each separately and I remember the uh I asked the police officers is he going to jail and the male police officer said no and the female police officer said oh yes he is she has strangle marks on her neck that's when it was that's when she's that's when I said oh, I do and she said yeah honey and she showed me so my state actually charged my ex-husband and put him in jail overnight. And I remember feeling a sense of relief. I was upset, sad, traumatized, still in shock. But I remember feeling a sense of relief that, okay, I at least don't have to think about, worry about him hurting me tonight. He's in jail and I'm safe. And then the next morning, um, Also, the state put a state-mandated court-ordered restraining order on him without my initiating it. And I was very relieved because of his threats to me. I knew or I thought back then that I couldn't be the one to press charges. And in hindsight, if I had to go back and do it again, knowing what I know now, I definitely would have pressed charges. But I remember the next morning... He had a court-ordered restraining order against him. He wasn't supposed to come within like 500 feet of me. He wasn't allowed to call me. And he calls me the next morning and breaks the restraining order, which is very common and very typical of um, abuse uh, perpetrators, abusers, and victims. Mm. Um, Restraining orders, from what I've heard and seen, don't do a whole lot of good, but it gives the police, I think, a tool to say some evidence and some documentation to say, hey, you know, this is a dangerous situation and, and we need to keep our eye on this. That's just my guess. I'm obviously not in law enforcement. But abusers break restraining orders all the time. People who don't understand the nuances nuances of abuse, I think a lot of times think, oh, well, just get a restraining order. Yeah, they they ignore it. I remember in a support group once, This lady saying that she had a restraining order against her ex-husband and she woke up one night and he was standing over her with a cocked gun held to her head. (laughs) So it's just to try to help, but I don't think it's super effective. That's my opinion, by the way. So anyway, that night, like we've got the cop cars and the, you know, with their lights in the driveway and the pastors there and it's just a hot mess and they take him off to jail. So the next morning he tries to call me and I'm like dummy me answered the phone. I don't know why I answered the phone. I'm like, "Yes or what or something like that." And he said and he said, "Are you going to press charges?" I said, "You do realize you're not even supposed to be calling me." I know and I'm sorry, but and you know, he's all he was always all repentant afterwards after each violent episode. And then I don't remember the rest of that conversation, but then I remember our overseer who happened to be the county jail chaplain, one of three, and he was buddy buddies with my ex-husband. And he called me and he said, and I was very intimidated by him, especially at this point, And he said, are you going to press charges against your ex-husband against? Well, at that time he was my husband. And I was terrified what to say. So I quickly prayed and said, God, tell me what to say. Holy Spirit, tell me what to say. So I said, and I believe this was an empowered word from the Holy Spirit after I prayed. I said, Pastor so-and-so, are you more concerned with getting my husband out of jail? I said his name. Are you more concerned with getting him out of jail? Or are you concerned about the safety of me and the boys? And it was like something clicked or snapped for him. And he said, I'm so sorry, Gwenna. I'm so sorry. And I think that's when he finally realized that I was telling the truth. And I said, did he ask you to call me? And he goes, well, yes, he did. I said, exactly. I said, he's not supposed to be calling me. He has a court-ordered restraining order. He's not supposed to be calling me. And that was the beginning of my getting free from the abuse of my ex-husband. Um, Like I said, the court ordered a restraining order, and that was the beginning of my becoming free from what I consider my Egypt, my own personal bondage in my marriage. And I blamed myself for a long time. But what I finally realized was that my husband, my ex-husband, he was making those choices. And I was so messed up in the head. I was so incredibly brainwashed by him and by false. Biblical teaching that I actually went back to my ex husband five months later after he strangled me. How messed up is that? Like, in hindsight, I'm just incredulous at myself. Like, how did I do that? What was I thinking? Well, obviously, I was completely brainwashed. I thought I wasn't being a submissive enough wife. What? Are you kidding me? No. Ephesians says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is not just the wife who is to submit. Now, was I completely innocent in this? No, but I definitely did not deserve what happened to me. Nobody deserves anything like that. And, you know, my story is one of many. And unfortunately, I've been finding out over the past a little over a decade, that I'm not alone, that there are a lot of stories similar to mine. And I'm just sharing with you my experience that fateful night. And I believed with all my heart that God could change that man. And Luke one thirty seven says, nothing is impossible with God. But what I wasn't considering is that he had to want to change he had to believe there was something wrong with him he had to believe there was a need for change in him and i can't force him to to do that it sounds like maybe a lot uh very similar to maybe alcoholics anonymous i don't know i've not gone through that so um there's more to the story through our separation, and everything. But very briefly, I just want to tell you some of the ways God provided, and I'm going to have a whole thing on God's provision, a whole um, podcast episode for you. But um, one of the ways was, one of my utility bills was fifty four dollars, and I never told anyone. And a couple days later, I anonymously got in the mail, $54, exact to the penny. I forget the penny, but the amount was to the penny of what I needed. That was definitely God. Um, And this was all after I finally separated the third and final time from my abusive ex-husband. There was a Christmas Eve day where I woke up and I had nothing and I had very little food for the boys and me. I had two young teenage boys that I had to feed and I had no Christmas gifts. I had one Christmas gift for each of them. Just something small and very little food. And Christmas Eve morning, I woke up and on the front patio were two grocery bags. One was full of unwrapped Christmas gifts for the boys and the other one was um, full of food. And just God kept providing in ways like that. One time one of the boys was sick And a friend of mine was a nutritionist and her husband was a doctor and they helped take care of him and us and helped, you know, get us transportation, helped get us medicine, helped get us a diagnosis. I mean, God just provided in so many ways. But I had to step out in faith. I had to step out in faith and trust God. After having trusted my husband to provide financially, I had to know that my husband wasn't my ultimate provider. God was my ultimate provider. And God provided for not only our needs, but also many of our wants over the years. Once I separated, I was unemployed for 15 months after I separated um, that last and final time. But anyway, going back, I went back to him five months after he strangled me because I was so messed up in the head. And I was absolutely terrified. And we ended up being together abuse-free for another three years. And then that is the timeline for that is when he shoved me and spat in my face in front of the boys. And that was my breaking point. And that's when I made the plan to leave. So that's my testimony. (laughs) Um, Thank you for listening. And I hope and pray that this... Um, has ministered to you or someone else. And if you see yourself or a friend or a loved one in any of what I've said, um, I pray for you and I hope that you or they will get to safety as quickly as possible because God does not want us to be unsafe. God God loves us and God wants us to be cared for. God loves you. God wants you to be cared for. If you are being abused, And I'm not talking about, oh, my husband won't vacuum, so he's abusing me. No, that's not abuse. That's not fun, but that's definitely not abuse. Please don't trivialize and minimize real abuse like that, okay? But real abuse, you're being shoved, you're being hit, you're being, you know, um, spoken to in an emotionally abusive way, saying mean things to you, um, criticizing you, putting you down treating you one way in private, another way in public, uh, spitting at you, it, any pulling your hair, um, slapping you, uh, shoving you, blocking your exit from a doorway, any of that is considered abuse. Please get to safety. God does not expect you or want you to stay in an abusive relationship. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Um, Please listen to the other podcasts for resources to help you or your friend and um, call that National Domestic Violence Center hotline um, at 1-800-799-7233 if you or a loved one is in immediate danger. Please get help and get to safety. Your life and even your children's lives, if you have them, are worth it. And remember i love you and jesus loves you even more till next time thanks for listening